All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, and I'm your host. And our special guest is Dr. Uma Danabalan. She's a highly respected Harvard-trained physician known to most as Dr. Uma. She's the founder of two companies, Global Health and Hygiene Solutions, LLC, established in 2006 with a mission to promote wellness and prevent illness, and Uplifting Health and Wellness, an independent medical concierge practice. Dr. Uma's mission is to change the stigma regarding cannabis and for the world to know about the endocannabinoid system through education. She's an educator, advocate, advocate, activist, excuse me, and speaks locally and globally about cannabis as a plant medicine and a global solution. She created the model Total Health Care, THC, where she, where she educates, embraces, and empowers her patients, the public, and policymakers, and others to promote cannabis as a treatment option. She created Docs and Jocks with Dr. Uma, being the, jo- the doc, and various athletes as the jocks that are using cannabis to promote her mission and the message that there is an athlete in all of us. Dr. Uma says cannabis is not for everyone, yet it should be a first-line option, not the last resort. Also, cannabis is an entrance for a better quality of life, an exit drug from pharmaceuticals, narcotics, alcohol, and nicotine, as well as this, this, this quote here, safety first, do no harm, cannabis, the exit drug. She has received awards from the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine for her research project, Occupational and Environmental Exposure to Lead in South India. And she's also received an award from High Times Magazine and many others nationally and internationally as well. She received her Bachelor of Arts from high honor, with high honors from Rutgers University, her medical degree from the University of Medicine and Dentistry, her family practice residency at the Medical University of South Carolina, her master's in public health occupational and environmental medicine residency and fellowship in heavy metals at the Harvard School of Public Health. She's a fellow at she's a fellow at the American Academy of Family Physicians, a diplomat at the American Academy of Cannabinoid Medicine as a cannabinoid medicine specialist and certified by the Medical Review Officer Certification Council as a medical review officer. So from Massachusetts, how are you doing, Dr. Uma? Thank you so much, Miguel. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for taking the time to read that whole extensive uh, description of my background. I really appreciate that. You know, there's a lot more to, you know, it's a short bio for a reason. And there's, that thing is jammed full. And there's a lot that you have done and a lot you are aiming to do with these two companies. So, uh, so how are you doing today? What's going on in what's going on in, in Massachusetts? It has been a very, you know, I always say the word blessed and grateful. And it's interesting that we're talking about cannabis and Christianity. This has been a topic that I've been really waiting for the opportunity. And when I saw that right on, I like to hear that to talk about it, I said, you know, the good Lord works in many different ways. And if this is how I get to do it, uh, I'm very excited. And um before we got on to recording this call, we were talking about the fact that I had gone up to Maine yesterday yeah. and um, we traveled up to Shapley, Maine, which is like a two hour drive. But I am so glad we did this drive because it was really about life and hope and what people are doing and fighting for their children and children that would have never had that life that I saw yesterday. They're living they were told that they would be dead or that, you know, this cancer is going to kill you or we have no treatment. So go do your life because we have nothing to offer. And they were offered cannabis as an option. And to see these children running around, playing, rolling around in the dirt and the parents and their caregivers and their supporting families, it's, it's really something that I... I'm so happy to be a part of it. It takes a lot of work and the work isn't finished yet. And um, I'm very excited and proud of the work I do. I don't know if I would have said that, um, you know, 13 years ago when I first started to learn that we had an endocannabinoid system with all my degrees and all my education um, 
there was this thing called the endocannabinoid system um, that I had never learned about. And it really was something that I realized was like a taboo. And it didn't matter what religion you were. Um, I was not speaking everybody else's languages. I no longer was this follower. I was asking questions. I was leading and very vocal about it. And what I realize is that cannabis is a global topic now. Yeah. It's no longer this U.S. issue or it's no longer, you know, this marijuana thing or it's become, I call it a trillion dollar, if not more industry. And that's just nationally and globally. And I'm very proud to say I've been a pioneer in this to get this message out. And having my degrees and my background and my experience really gave me a rock solid foundation that nobody could take away from me. And it has given me a backbone to stand up and be able to kind of stand tall and say, folks, I don't care who you are, where you are, what your intention is, but here's something that I want to share with you. What you do with it is up to you, Yeah. but this is what it is. And that's where I'd like to begin. That's cool. That's cool. Um. So yeah, so the awards, you got the first one that I read was the uh, award for the American College of um, Occupational and Environmental Medicine for her research project, Occupational and Environmental Exposure to Lead in South India. And then you also have an award from High Times. Oh, so yeah. It, that you know was... what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's, it's been a spectrum. It's like, yeah, the spectrum of that. That's where it's kind of like, wow, yes. you, are, you, are, you are across the spectrum there. Yep. And even before my lead work, you know, I really have to say I'm very blessed to have amazing parents. You know, one of the things that um, you had asked about was, you know, my foundations of uh, how I grew up. I'm originally from India for people. I was born in Bombay, India. My parents are from Southeast India and I was born in North um, West India. And when I came to this country was in 1970. And my parents are very special because their whole mission was about education. If there was one word that describes my parents is education, that they wanted, they were hungry to learn. They were hungry to, to work harder to make sure that their children would have the best education. And my brother and I have been very fortunate. My brother went to MIT and is phenomenal. He's the inventor of email and is a Fulbright scholar and um, has done some amazing work and continues to do amazing work. I got to go to Harvard and become a doctor. And, you know, I started school when I was three years old. My parents didn't know what to do with me. I was always a busybody, curious child, never destructive, but very curious and energetic. And I still continue to have that in me. So they were like, well, she says she wants to be a doctor. Let's at least three years old run around bringing kids from the street in Bombay to my home, cleaning them up, you know, sending them off. This was what my we were exposed to. And how old I were you? How old how old were you when when you told your parents that you recognized that about yourself? Like how old were you and recognize that? Well, I think probably my parents would say, you know, I was very young and at by three, they sent me to school. I started kindergarten when I was three years old. And I finished high school when I was sixteen. And I have gone gone around the block many times to start medical school and Finally, finally, the good Lord, I guess, had his journey for me. It wasn't the easiest route I took. I started med school the first time in 1979 in India. My parents said, you know, we can't afford to send you to school in America. It's four years of college. And then you got to go to four years of medical school. And then you got to go do residency. And, you know, you can't afford to do all of that. So we're going to send you to school in India. I'm thinking that was going to be the shorter, the easiest method for for me. But again, um, that wasn't 
the purpose. I got sick. I ended up with uh, hepatitis from the water. I ended up with malaria the second year. Mm. And my parents finally said, did we send you to be the doctor or the patient? And this is where I really believe that, um, you know, God works in his miraculous ways. I, it wasn't meant to be. I was meant to be the patient. It wasn't meant to be that I should be a foreign medical grad. So I had to come back to the United States. And I started to do my undergraduate. And I started doing my undergraduate at Rutgers. And meanwhile, I had been doing research since I was 10 years old. My wow. mom. That's 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 where is my asset. Because when you said three years old, I was like thinking, is she talking about herself? Or is she talking about the kids that were bring her parents were bringing to the home? And and so I didn't I didn't mean to disturb that 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 train of thought there. But that when you said three, I was like, wow, that's really young to recognize that about yourself and then walk it into maturity in this life. It's like, wow, that's uh, that's that's not something I hear all the time. But I I, I dig it. Oh my God. And if there's a word, I would say perseverance, perseverance, persistence, and this, if nothing else, perseverance, but there's always a purpose. And I still feel like I'm not done yet. I don't know why I have this now as part of my platter to, to be given this gift, but I was given that gift to have that opportunity. So I went back to India, came back here, started my undergraduate. Meanwhile, I was I had some amazing mentors working and my mom was a teacher in India and she then um, came here and started to get her master's in computer science and worked at the university. It was at that time, the College of Medicine and Dentistry in Newark, New Jersey. And I would go in to work with her for the summer vacations. I would go with my dad, even when we were little to the plant because he worked at Park Davis and Helene Curtis and, BP and all these different companies. And so, you know, I, I got to go with them and I was a lab rat kid. You know, I would go peek around and look at what was going on and they would all welcome me. And I got to do a lot of things that most people would not. I started to work in the labs and pitting frogs and doing things, you know, and this grew into working with all different facets of from chemotherapy drugs to infertility drugs to animal research to tissue culture to drug research to things that I didn't that that give me this foundation to be a badass and to talk so boldly because I I they can't say no you don't know what you're talking about because I do know what I'm talking about and I have done it and these drugs that are being used were used back then and I was a part of it. Okay, so which so, so um th which drugs are you talking about? chemotherapy drugs like okay, that's been all the drugs and we were working with diabetic patients we were working with animal models with burns with frostbite with alcoholism with all different types of conditions unrelated to cannabis you know this is where i'm saying like these conditions are what we're using cannabis for but these are conditions cancers i was treating cancer patients with models we would have tumors that I would get from the hospital and I would plant them into mice, into a kidney capsule of a mice. Mouse people know is how big it is. Can you imagine what a kidney size is, you know? And what we were implanting was the tumors and then we would treat it with these drugs, Vinblastin, Vinquistin, Cisplatinin, Methotrexate, and the list goes on and on. And then we would, I would sacrifice the animals and what grew the tumors is what we gave the patients and we saw what the drugs did in those 10 days to those animals but it was about extending people's lives or hopefully curing not necessarily but with the hopes of it but definitely extending something maybe not a quality of life but definitely trying to extend life um and so those were my background and then when I came back, I continued to do my research and I worked and I did research and I was also doing TA work, teacher's assistant, um, because in the midst of this, I had gotten married. I had an arranged marriage. And this is where I started after I finished undergraduate. I got into med school and 
everything stopped. First first month into medical school, I got into a car accident. Oh. I had to stop. And you couldn't just start in the middle hmm. of the year. I had to wait another year. And then started again in 1985. This time, two months into the year, I ended up with another car accident. Not my fault, but just had to stop again. And I'm like, three strikes, you're out. I started in 79. I started in 84. I started. I said, I'm done. So I said, all right, I'm going to go get pregnant. My husband was in India, finishing up his training. Very fortunate to travel all through Europe. I took three months, traveled the world me, my backpack, and a URL pass. And uh, this is what I was, this was before we had, you know, any of these fancy, fancy toys or anything else on my own and doing it. And yeah, no, no, no handheld cell phone and no GPS in your hand. <laughs> it's a no, bit different. I had a URL pass, a youth hostel membership, and, uh, you know, my book to travel with. And I would write my notes down. And I really, Again, my mother encouraged me to go do it. She said, do it. You might as well. And and I was on my way to getting pregnant to meet my husband. And I really left the whole medical field for a bit. You know, I started to work in insurance. I went back to the research world. I got to get trained. I said, I'm not going back to the lab. I don't want to be exposed to stuff if I'm going to get pregnant. And I came back. And so long story short, after I had my son and was personally recovering physically, emotionally, in every way, um, I was very blessed. I met this physical therapist and he said, Dr. Uma, you have to be this doctor. This is what he would say. You have to be this doctor. I need to get you back to being what you need to be. And he encouraged me and I went back and my parents were very supportive. And they said, if you want to go back, we'll help you. And I always say my MD stands for mom and dad. My mom's name is Mina, was Mina. And my dad's name is, he goes by DeRay. So we say Mina and DeRay was, is what my MD stands for, mom and dad. And um, my son was a year and a half old. In 1991, I decided to go back to medical school. And so you can imagine, I'm a, yeah. I'm a parent. I'm working in a lab. I'm going to medical school. And um, this is where all of this is going on. And finally, I get through medical school in uh, 1995. And meanwhile, I was doing work. I was doing research throughout this whole time as well. And working with HIV patients, infertility work, which was just coming into vogue at that time. And... Um, really got to be exposed as a pioneer in a lot of different ways and got to do the things as other doctors, you know, work, did my residency. And then after I got it at MUSC, that's where I really got curious. Again, I've always been this curious cat that has never left a piece of me. <laughs> you got energy. I can see you have energy, Dr. Uma, that's for sure. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like the energy comes because you want to keep achieving to answer more questions or to say, I don't know the answer, so let me go find out about it. And that's what I want everybody to evoke. I don't need to, and I have no shame in saying, I don't know. I have no shame. My patients will tell you, Dr. Oman will open out with a disclosure saying, I will share with you what I know. And if I don't know something, I'm going to say, I don't know. But you know, Miguel, we're going to learn about it together. Leaves cool. the door open and it makes it easy. But, know, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, you know, the part your story on how you finally got to uh, law school or not, not medical school, excuse me, is I, I was thinking of it. I was like, man, that's a tough. I mean, from the age of three, you had you you realized this about yourself. And then here you are this many this this many years down down the road or, or up the road or however you want to look at it. And you have a family and it came back. And it was through other people that kind of encouraged you to to accept it, to receive it, to go back to it, or to continue walking it out. And it's it's also fascinating because I think I I start thinking of I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, of Joseph from the from the biblical character in Exodus, 
that reminded me of him. Your story reminded me of his story. I was like, wow. Where it's just like, is this really, I can see that there's plenty of opportunities for somebody and for you and anybody going through something like that. It's like, when do I just pull the plug on this thing and say enough? And you hit that point and it's kind of like, wow. And yet you said perseverance. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's, um, yeah, that is perseverance. That's perseverance. Because- but I, this is where, you know, call it God, call it whatever. I have, like, we've been very blessed. I'm Hindu by birth. Okay. okay? So I'm Hindu by birth, but we grew up in Bombay. So, you know, to get the good education, you went to Catholic school. So I was taught by the Catholic nuns and my brother was taught by the priests. And that's how you were taught, you know, and this is where religion. So I've had the Bible exposed to us from the get go. And my parents, when we came to the United States in 1970, living in New Jersey, there was no temple right there. So believe it or not, my parents... There was three things we were taught. There's God, your parents, and teachers. God, your parents, and teachers. Okay? Whichever the God it was, call it whatever. Jesus, call it Mohammed, call it Lord Shiva, call it whatever you want to call it. There's some spirituality that's beyond our control. And you answer to that regardless. And when you lay your head down, you don't need to answer to anybody. But you know you have somebody there. That's it. It's as it's simple as that. And so we went to the Baptist church. I remember going to Sunday school. My parents would in, walk. Ba- in Bombay. No, in Massachusetts. In, okay. Okay. When, when we came here. Yeah. Just check. And then we, you know, went to, and my parents would come to church and, you know, people would always try to convert us or whatever. And my parents would say, we believe in all religions. We don't have anything that we are against in any way. You know, we believe that we welcome everybody. So, Wherever we moved, I mean, I went to Baptist Church, I've been to Jehovah's Unitarian, the Jewish Temple, you name it, we've been to it, okay? And my philosophy is, if there's people and food, I am any religion you want me to be. That's Dr. Uma's open door. Okay, I will be there, I will share with you, I will break bread, I will do whatever you need be, okay? And that's and cool, been- that's very cool, and and that's very cool, Dr. Uma. That's what's interesting, because when you said, uh, that's what I was wondering, if I was going to I was going to ask you if you, how you, well, you know, it's one of the questions, like, were, were you raised with a religion? And you just answered it. So that's cool. And how what was, when you came up, was it difficult to assimilate into any of that stuff in India or the United States? You know, it's really interesting because I believe in prayer. Okay. I don't care who you pray to, you know, my day starts off by saying thank you. And my day ends by saying thank you, you know, and I always will say God bless in my messages and and I just I feel that I feel that it's within me and I'm really walked strong stronger because I know I have that faith because I learned this I forget from where but we live in two modes of life we can either live in faith or in fear I and agree with that fear you don't have faith and if you have faith you don't have fear And I tell people that all the time, even my patients, I talk about spirituality with them and I tell them, I said, I don't care who, what, where, he, she, it, whatever, you know, these are the stories that you have to carry within you and find that. So you, you get through the medical school. Yeah. It's like, it's a long process. It does. And, you know, this is where, and then it doesn't stop. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm a now a professional student now. Yeah, the continuing lifelong learning, lifelong learning. Still learning. I'm still a student of life. And, you know, this is where my, piece, my parents kept encouraging me. I had this child and I was studying and, you know, he's growing and I'm watching this evolution. And now I told you I'm, I've become recently a grandmother. So I have this beautiful little six-month-old I'm watching now in different ways. And my son is going to be... My son and my daughter-in-law are both almost 35 now. And my daughter-in-law comes from a very Christian family. And, you know, they're very, uh, you know, stuck on their ways of life, just as I am stuck on my ways. Whatever we're all stuck on, we're all in are those grooves that we're doing. As I, I know say. what you mean. Yeah, I understand. And where we so, choose to be, where we choose to be. Yeah, exactly. And my dad is 90 years old and now I'm 61 years young. So we've got all these generational things going on and, we try to travel and we do different things. But long story short, as I finished medical school, I 
was very fortunate that wherever I traveled, more curiosity. So when I went to medical school in South Carolina, I got the curiosity of being exposed to a pediatrician that was working with children with lead exposure in South Carolina because of the, all the lead and the old paint and everything else. That got me curious into my next phase, which became preventative health and public health. And that's what led me to South Carolina, from South Carolina to Massachusetts. And I did my master's in public health and my second life in my residency in preventative health with occupational medicine, and then got involved and did my fellowship in heavy metals. And that's how I got my award in lead. And all of these things were journeys to today, fast forward, because after my fellowship and everything else, I worked for hospitals in Providence, Rhode Island, here in Massachusetts, Brockton, uh, name it in different parts of Peabody. And then I also was then fortunate to become the regional medical director for Kimberly Clark in Georgia, which then I quickly became the regional medical director for Asia Pacific. I was one of the top 85 people of the company and I really got to see healthcare and corporate medicine on a global level. When you're trying to sell one diaper, one box of Kleenex, one tissue, you know, where you, instead of bulk items, you understand the whole corporate message globally. Yeah. Globally. Okay. And, you know, it made, gave me another good foundation. And that's when um, I created Global Health and Hygiene Solutions in 2006. And it was about health and hygiene. What do we do on a global level? And what I really realized was that Kimberly Clark taught me a really important lesson. We are all the same. We are all the same. We all have a birth. We all have a death. And I have been very fortunate to help people conceive as a physician to help them dying. So, you know, conception to the grave is what I call it. My C to C, you know, um, we help people conceive and we also help people really think about the grave. So it's see the G rather, you know, the grave, yeah. death and dying. But what I really believe is that we should be able to die with death and dignity. That should be part of death is dignity. And we should have the right to choose how we die, you know? And I also came up in the phrase where, you know, as a family doctor, they would call me Dr. Mrs. Kevorkian because I believe. I grew, I grew up in Michigan and I grew up when Jack Kevorkian was coming around and it yeah. was, it was big news and it was big news in Michigan. They went at national and international because uh, yeah, that was, that would all happen out of Michigan too. So I'm familiar with when you said Kevorkian, yeah. that's, that's not a name you hear very often anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even and, and, you know, not a positive thing always necessarily associated with it, but I really, when I practice family medicine, when I, I would call the family in and I'd say, I figure out your religious. This is when the religion would come in the game or when I would have Jehovah's Witnesses. As soon as they entered, I needed to know because if there was critical cases, if we couldn't give blood or what their views were, I wanted to respect and honor them. That was yeah. important to me, you know? Yeah. And that's what my parents brought us up with. And that's what I really have the foundational roots from is from my parents and my family. So now I know you've done a lot of stuff with the federal government. We, we talked about this earlier. You've done a lot of stuff with the federal government and in, in, uh, in hygiene and in oh, lead and heavy metals. But before we get to that part, I want to ask you about cannabis. Good. After all, after, fast after, forward to there. How did I step into this thing? That's exactly oh. it. Because you did all that stuff. You did all, all that, all those hurdles, all those challenges, persevere, your mom and dad, very strong family support, very strong family support. But you also have a family at that point in time. And then how did they receive the news when you said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to research cannabis and include that into my profession? Did, was there any pushback? It was like, did any of the because I can see, you know, you just don't know how some family members are going to respond to or even friends. Yeah. Cannabis. I know you prefer the term cannabis. I'm trying to stop myself from saying marijuana right now. Too. You say it, but you know, it's just, I want to give the plant respect. You know, this is where I want to go back. And the reason I do what I do is because of my mother. Okay. okay. I want to, I want to really focus on 
the fact of um maybe why I'm so passionate and why I I am um because I feel it it's pain, but the pain provokes me to be very passionate that I need to get this message out because it was in 2010. I was working at the world's largest cleanup site at the Hanford site in Washington state. I was working as a family doctor, uh-huh. as a medical. Was, it was a cleanup site for what? Plutonium. Yes. So two bombs Pluton- were Pluton- dropped. There you go. Yeah, that's going to make sure because I, I don't we, we didn't we missed that part when you said it. I just want to make sure this is a plutonium cleanup site in Washington. Yeah, this was where so many people know that there was two bombs dropped in Japan. And one of the bombs was a plutonium bomb. And the plutonium bomb was made at the Hanford site in Washington state. And I was hired there in 2010 to go work there with my background as a family doctor as a medical review officer, which meant that I was popping people if they tested positive for this chemical known as THC, which is in cannabis. So that was my world in 2010. So mind you, making my money, working a job, nice cushy life, you know, nine to four, whatever, got out, pension, all of this, making my money. And my mom was dying of an illness known as idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Fancy term for we don't know what caused your lung disease. My mom had never smoked. She had never worked in an occupation she was exposed to, but was dying. And there was nothing that they could offer her. And 2010, she's watching a TV program. And I could still hear her saying, they're using ganja. <laughs> That's funny. Just the way you, nobody, no, I don't do any video. <laughs> I don't do video. But <laughs> Your impersonation of your mother when you said that was hilarious. I'm sorry, Dr. Oh, my funny. God. Yeah. So if you can imagine, I'm like, I know that word. I know that word. I beelined it into the bedroom. And it was a TV program about how cannabis was being used in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. For patients for COPD, asthma, lung cancer, and PTSD. Everybody that was considered Jewish had PTS from trauma of the Holocaust. So these people were in a nursing home and I could still see the TV program about seniors smoking and how they were using it to deal, cope and have these as a tool, as part of their treatment for COPD. And I'm sitting there going, does not compute, does not compute. What do you mean you're going to smoke weed and you're going to feel better and it's going to help you breathe? Because all my life, all I was told was don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't use weed. And if you test positive for this stuff, you're going to lose your job. Okay, so that's my world that I'm in. And all of a sudden, there's that curiosity thing in me popping right out now. But I have to keep my mouth shut. That's not like Dr. Uma to keep her mouth shut especially with curiosity. So my mom says, what do you think? So I start reading about it and reading and reading and reading and reading. And I start learning that there's stuff that I don't know that I was never taught. But I'm scared because if I use this or talk about this, I have the potential of losing my cushy job. But the fear of losing my mom is not even a thought in my mind. That was not a reality check at all. I never imagined my mom dying. So I get what you're saying. When you say the fear of using your mom, you're saying that wasn't an option. This is not her time. This ain't happening. Not this ain't the time. I so, get what you're saying. No, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So fast forward, she gets worse. And July 7th, 2011, the doctor says she's got six months to live. Still then, I don't believe. But my mom knew and she wanted to go to India to die. So we went to India. And we went, we came back and she passed away exactly six months. This is why I believe that sometimes you should not say things to people because this is when you instill the yeah. words in people's mind, it happened. No, I, I know exactly. July 7, January 7, she died in India. I suffered with my own, I call it PTS 
And my PTS stands for post-traumatic strength. Stress has to become strength in people's life. That's the way I look at it. You've got to make, you've got to learn from it and you got to move forward because you can't change the past. You can't do anything about it. So I really struggled. I like that. That's good. I, it's got to be strength. You, this, it's got to convert, you know. The peaks have valleys. Valleys have peaks. It's, it is life, you know, it's part of life. And so I struggled. I kept, I literally uh, struggled with my own mental health issues and did not want to live. Did not. Did not have, if I had died, I think I would have been happy. Even though I had a father, I had a son, I had a career, whatever. But my, the loss of my mother was real. And I met this gentleman who was running a clinic. And meanwhile, I had met a gentleman that had a medical card in Washington. And I said, I want to know what this is all about. So I go into the dispensary and they're like, you don't have a card. We're not going to let you in. I'm like, what the hell do you mean? You're not going to let me in. I'm a doctor. They said, we don't give a fly who you are. You don't have a card. You're not going to get in. So then I start curious again, learning. Now the word gets out, there's this doctor out there. And they thought I was part of some type of, that I was the bad guy trying to get information. So that I was a narc and they wouldn't let me. And what year was this again? This was 2012. 2012. So I'm, this is a funny step because I would have thought that the Bush administration from 2000, 2008 would have rated more this was the Obama stuff. That exactly. Was going on. Yeah. And the stats, when I looked at the stats, the Obama administration actually raided more clinics and dispensaries than the Bush administration. So this is where, so this is happening. And finally, I'm in the Tri-Cities. I, the, my contract ended. They had cut off all the funds. So my job was ended. I traveled, finally get to meet this guy. And I traveled to Tacoma, Washington. And I meet this guy and he goes, I'm running a clinic and I believe in this. And if you want a job, I'll I'll hire you. How quickly do you want to start? So I start seeing patients and I had the knowledge. I had learned about it already. So he was like, you have more knowledge. You could start doing it. And I started to see patients. And within two years, I had seen over 4,000 patients. So wow. you can imagine. Yeah, I had, I was seeing patients in, uh, Olympus, Tacoma, Seattle, and Silverdale, all these locations. And I was seeing patients, all adult patients, and certifying them. I had nothing to protect me. Obama, December of that year is when Obama put into the law that they weren't going to go after doctors that were writing recommendations in states. And uh, Washington had a medical program. And at the same year is when legalization started in Washington and in Colorado. Okay. So things were moving, but yeah. I had, meanwhile, you know, here I am a Harvard grad. I wouldn't tell anybody I was doing what I was doing. Oh, I'm a family doctor. Yeah. That's, that's exactly my point. Especially after all the, all the perseverance, all the challenges, I can imagine that news being like, wait, you're going to do what with this? Yeah. And, you you know, my mom was dead and my dad was here. But this is what really got me going. And uh, my dad decided to come back from India and was settled here in Massachusetts. And I said, okay, I've got to take care of my dad. I got to get my shit together and be able to take care of my father and what I have to do. And I created, we came here. We started the first Mickey Martin who passed away was a very badass guy. He was, he was such a vigilante. And he said, I still remember, he said, Dr. Me, you're an activist now. I said, no, I'm a doctor. He said, no, you're an advocate and an activist. And don't you ever forget it. <laughs> and and I was like, no, I'm a doctor. It still didn't instill in me what I was doing. And this is where I am now proud. And I start out by saying, I'm a cannabinoid medicine specialist. And yes, I'm a family doctor and I'm an occupational medicine physician. And yes, I have all these other credentials. And yes, by the way, I went to Harvard. And yes, I have a knowledge of a system that most people don't know. And I'm proud of it. And that I use cannabis as a tool. I haven't written an opioid prescription probably now in over 20 years. Wow. 
And how many doctors can say that today? That is, um, I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying completely. So why I do what I do, I believe that this is a plant. And I'm from India. And our culture was about Ayurvedic medicine. Ayu means life. Veda means knowledge. So the words put together was about life and knowledge. And this plant happens to be just one of those things. And if you look at Christianity, Buddhism, Hebrew, whatever the knowledge of whatever the religions and cultures, this plant has been part of it. Just find it. You know, when we talk about cannabis, you know, the oils. Yeah, and I'm talking about Hebrew, yeah. And or even the, the anointing oils that Jesus used had this plant, which they talk about, which was translated, misinformed, mistranslated, but it was cannabis. This is what they use. Now, today we understand the science of it. We understand the first drop of breast milk has the molecule, anandamide, that mimics this molecule that I mentioned earlier, THC, that works with these receptors in our body. And these receptors, what we learned, CB1 in the brain, CB2 in the immune system, and that these receptors are throughout the whole body. And that's why cannabis works with these receptors, with the functionality of homeostasis, balance. And if we are not at ease, my friend, I don't care who you are, you are at dis-ease. Dis-ease. You know, I I agree with you on that completely and how you view the word. And it's like, yeah, if it's not one, then it's the other. I get what you're saying. Exactly. Ease is Your ease might be different than my ease, honey, today. My ease might be different in the morning than what I can tolerate in the evening. Today versus yesterday. What I could, everybody is different daily. Yep. It's dynamic. We're a dynamic creation. You got to flow. You know, there's three modes of life. Sometimes I'm fighting. I am fighting hard. Sometimes I'm like, nope. Nope, don't need to be a part of this. I need to get the frig out of this situation. ASAP. Leave the situation. Or I got to flow with the situation. But this is it. So where we are every day can vary. And sometimes you damn well have to fight for what you believe in. If it's not for you, if it's not for your family, if it's not for your child, if it's not for your society, if it's not for what we leave behind, you got to. Sometimes you just say, no, I don't want to be a part of this. This is not my bag. I don't have any business talking about it or I don't support it. I know what you mean. It, it's it's a it's it's a uh, funny thing when it comes down to like taking a stand on those things and I'm just anything, you know, just like what do we and it changes. It's kind of like, hey, you know what? And I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying this is to be wishy washy at all because I get completely what you're saying. We change, and which constantly changing, yeah. and that's the thing that I want to also impress on people. So there's a lot of rhetoric people here out there. The developing brain, the developing brain. Cannabis. Oh yeah, okay, yep. Talking about so for kids. It, yep, kids. Yeah, yeah. So, I've heard that too. Yeah. So in my clinic now, my youngest baby is one years old. My Uh eldest patient is 98. So I really get to practice family medicine. It does. It's cool. It's very cool. And I've helped many people get pregnant. So I have my can of babies, you know, women that would have never gotten pregnant, people that were told you will never have a child, people that have a cancer that were told you'll never get pregnant again after cancer, you'll not. And we've got my can of babies. So I'm very proud of what I do today for many reasons. Here's one thing that, you know, the funny thing is when you, when you talk about the people that say, oh, you know, you're developing brain, you can't give them, you can't give, you can't give kids cannabis as medicine. And I re- I know when I started, I found this article, it was generally accepted. A lot of people generally accepted it. And um, that was that it, they talked about like uh, addiction rates, but they also talked about the developing brain. 
and cannabis. Let's talk about that because well, so- I, I, got, I got one point. I got I just got because it's kind of strange to me that people say nope, that natural plant, that plant, that's not good for the that's not good for the for the brain under this age. But Adderall, Ritalin, Keppra, all these things that that Tramadol. those are those are okay, right? That's where I'm kind of like this is where just the reasoning of it doesn't make sense unless you apply a heavy heavy amount of combined stigmas combined together involving many things onto that plant and then i heard you say it earlier when when you were talking about israel and and just smoking period let's talk about that because these are all the things that we want to talk want people to at least if nothing else today i want people to go home and start reading yeah go ahead go ahead three facts Three facts that we want people to walk away with. Number one, fact number one, cannabis was prescribed by doctors. Like a prescription pad was given to them and said, take cannabis indica, cannabis in tinctures, rub it on you, put it in you, inhale it, whatever. They had cannabis cigarettes. Okay. And cannabis was in the pharmacopoeia from 1850 to 1942. And it was listed in the pharmacopoeia for opioid addiction as a treatment. For alcoholism as a treatment, for migraines, chronic pain, menstrual cramps, seizures, labor pains, and the list went on and on and on, prescribed. Okay? Yeah. What happened? You should go and look. The second fact I want you to understand, the United States of America has several patents. Patent number 6630507. The birthday of that patent is coming up, October 7th. 2003. It's going to be 20 years, October 7th this year. The government has a patent. Look up that number, 663507. And it clearly states cannabinoids, all of them, as an antioxidant and neuroprotectant. There's nothing about neurotoxic, neuroprotectant. Prevention, maintenance, and treatment of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, strokes, cardiac events. Prevention. Look it up. Look at all the research that talks about people that when cannabis is on board, how they survive a stroke more likely than if you don't have it on board. Look at all the research. Traumatic brain injuries with CTE, our athletes, our children playing sports. Look it up. Look at this thing. Third fact, how many people have died from a cannabis overdose? A big fat zero, nobody. You may feel like you're dying if you take too much. <laughs> you're not going to die. Okay? And was, if you do, you know, we're going down in history. Sometimes I wish I was doing video because I'm just watching and listening to Dr. Uma. And I'm like, man, you can feel the energy. And it's just like she's got all the points. And, and she's pointing people to the right directions to research. To, you don't have, it's, like, it's like you're saying, hey, you don't have to believe me. But you know what I'm talking about. Go look at that option and see what you find. Look at this and see. Now, flip side. Okay. You mentioned the word addiction. Yeah. Addiction is real. Addiction is a illness. I always say, add it and it can become bad. Add it and it can become really bad. Is that addiction? Okay. Because people can get addicted to different things. Oh, yeah. It's a habit. People okay? are. Everybody's. We're all addicted to something. That's for sure. And this is where the cell, the cell phone's probably the biggest one for money on us. <laughs> that and a whole bunch of other things and pornography that people are looking at. That's a whole nother conversation we could talk about. And there's no religion that people that are excluded by it. That, that oh, that yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Okay. Prostitution, all of those other things. Another conversation another day. We'll talk about it. Oh, it's fascinating, though, because it, it, it it's people. and it, It's and addiction. It's, if you want it, to talk about it, you it can affects- add it and it can become bad. And it affects relationships within Everything. the family and outside of the family. It affects you. Right. It affects your society. Whether, so, the, the funny thing is that people don't think it really does. Oh, it does. That, that, that's so, Sorry, go it's ahead. It's an Dr. illness. No, no, it's an illness. So that philosophy said there's two things. One healthy person can help for other people. One sick person needs for other people. Okay, when you're dealing with an addict, if it's your family member, if it's you, if it's somebody, you know, you know what I'm talking about right now, right here. 
Mm-hmm. If you've got somebody struggling, you know what they're facing today. And if you are that person, there is help for you. Please ask for help. That's what this is about. Ask. You know, you got nothing to lose. And we are facing suicide right now among even my own colleagues. Doctors, suicide rates, burnouts. Almost one doctor a day right now is committing suicide. You know, that it's, it's, I had a, I did a recording with a man named Sasha Widowicz from uh, uh, Serbian Herzegovina. And he went through something like what you're talking about. And he's made it his life's mission for his work to address specifically healthcare professionals and exactly what you're talking about right now. And this is what I'm talking about. There's so many professions that are not allowed to use this medicine because of their profession. Right. I had a priest, okay? And I'm going to tell you, I love this man. And I'm very fortunate. I get to work with all different types of people. And even priests need cannabis too. And many priests and different people that I've worked with, they drink. They go home and alcohol is accepted in these religions. And, you know, it's four o'clock somewhere or it's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. They're having a cocktail. One glass becomes a bottle. Okay. One bottle can become easily two bottles and you can build up a tolerance to all of this stuff. So I don't drink anymore. When I decided to become a real badass, I said, I'm not doing it. And when I did drink occasionally, there'd be a cigarette that would go along with the drinking. You know, it was like a hand in hand thing It was just to be part of the groove or whatever it was. No, because to me, I don't know of anybody that's smoking weed, smoking cannabis, smoking marijuana, smoking whatever you want to call it, cannabis related and going and beating up their children or their wives or anybody else or their alcohol, different game. Okay. Alcohol has a lot of interactions and so does cannabis. It can interact. So Dr. Uma's thing is safety first, do no harm is rule number one that I want people to understand. I don't care what you're doing. If you don't think about safety first, it could be harmful. Okay. Even the medicines that are prescribed by your doctors that are given to you legally day in and day out, please look at your med list. I'm happy to do that. My clinic, we do that for our patients. We do med reviews. I do consults for people all over the world. Call us. We're at Uplifting Health and Wellness. You can share our information with them at the end. Which, and, oh, yeah. Do you have a website? Do you want to point people to? Yes. yes. Uh, it's upliftinghealthandwellness.com is the website. And they can call us. Our phone number is 508-444-2324. They can email me. It's upliftinghealthandwellness, spelled out, at gmail.com. Um, get to our website. We're going to have a click button that you could send our messages to. If you believe in what I'm doing, please share the knowledge. My philosophy is reach one, teach 10. As we teach one person, spread the word. That's what it's about. And I think my message is proliferated. We've reached so many people. My message is a global message as well, that if you don't want to use this plant for medicine, this plant to me is for people. It's for pets not just the pets that we have in our home, but the produce that we consume, the animals, if they were fed hemp, cannabis, they would have a different life. And when we consume it, less inflammation, because at the end of the day, everything is about inflammation. It's for the planet. If we could plant this plant, please understand what it would do to our earth and rejuvenate climate change. It's a solution for climate change. It's for peace. If cannabis did not have the legalities, people in prison all over the world for a freaking plant. Really? Really, folks? Please, prisoners that are in prison for this plant must be released right now, right now, right here, everywhere, because that's just not impacting them. It's impacting their families. That's a whole nother thing. So if cannabis was legalized, there'd be peace. We would not have the war on drugs. And Profit. I want to talk about this word profit. Profit means you, your health. No amount of money is going to give you your health back. I don't give a who, who you are. If you are sick, no money is going to replace it. So remember, your health and wellness is your profit. 
And yes, this plant can create jobs all over the world. And it is. And I've been a part of this evolution, revolution. And absolutely, the three words we use are educate, embrace, and empower. So become an educated consumer, become an educated customer, because you got one life, one body, and this is about you. And remember, caregivers, please take care of you first, because if you can't take care of you, you can't take care of yourself and you can't help the people that you love and really dedicate what you want to do in your life. And this is about you. It's about you and each of you matter. I don't care what your religion, what your thoughts, who you are. I still believe in those three words that my parents taught me. God, your parents and your teachers. Honor them all. Learn and please become curious and share what you know. And uh, Dr. Uma says that it's about you. You know, there's there's another person who's alive right now that you're reminding me of too. And in terms of like, of of this one's probably like a more direct thing where it's like, wow, life, like the way you came up. And that's a doctor out of Florida. His name is Joseph Rosado. And uh, yeah, he's one of my students, as I say. Oh, you know, oh, you, I didn't hear you say that. You know him. Many people know me. Okay. All right. right. Well, maybe he knows you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got it backwards. I'm sorry, Numa. Dr. Uma, I apologize. But that, you know, just, just there's. So, there's, so you know, they're listening and they're learning. So good. I'm there's, happy a, to hear. There, there's a familiar fire between when I hear both of you talk, especially with what you just said right there. I was like, there's a familiar fire right there. And I was like, wow. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, but we're not. He'll I mean, tell you. He'll tell you. Okay. Dr. That's Uma's. cool. Right on. Right on. Um, and that's what I'm saying. I'm really proud when when you say that. I know my word are being heard. And I get very emotional. But this is truly my mission. And I've been given the strength to speak about it. And, you know, I always say this. If somebody had told me, Dr. Me, you're going to become the voice for this plant. I said, what kind of drugs have you been doing? You know, but truly I have. And I want people to understand that it's not for everybody. It should be a first line option and not the last resort. And especially for children and people for death and dying, palliative care, it must be a first choice. Right on. That's cool. All right. Now I know you have a hard stop time at one thirty, and uh, we're going to, I'm going to take you up to one thirty if we can. Can we take you up to one thirty? Absolutely. That's what I said. I wanted to give All you right. my spiel. All right. Because here's the thing. It's like, it's there's there's a lot more we could talk about. We don't have the time. The work that you've done with the government and how that's and how that I mean even more to even greater detail because it's like wow you're familiar with all these things. And Policymakers and you know I'm doing a lot. I'm doing expert witness work now. So if there's ever need for expert witness or if you have need consults for anything, like I said, speakers, I do that and I want people to get evoked and become curious. That's the bottom line of this. Don't listen to everything your doctors say. You know, I always say PCP, primary care provider. No, it's we're all providing something for people. We're all caregivers. And at the end of the day, we're all patients. And don't you ever forget that. I tell that to my providers. I say, don't you ever forget you're a patient too. Okay. You too may need this plant. You too may know somebody that can benefit from it. And I also say to people, please, 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 please open your hearts. You don't need to use this medicine, but you know somebody that can benefit from it. Open your minds because we all have an endocannabinoid system. And ultimately, this is going to open doors for a better conversation so people can talk about it and say, what do you know about cannabis? What do you know about the endocannabinoid system? Could it be something that you can help you to help you lower your meds, to give up the alcohol, to give up the nicotine, especially opioids? I've gotten people off of opioids. That's why cannabis, the exit drug, is my registered trademark. I want to see that put on a billion T-shirts. That's what I want to see. You know what I, you know, as we're, as man, there's so much I want to talk with you about because you've done so much and you've experienced a lot and you've impacted a lot of people. But I think because we got this short amount of time, I want to talk to you about smoking. I know we talked about it. Hold on. Yes. Yes. So this is, I want to, cause this is, this is something that a couple of guests that pointed out to me and, and I had this experience last, it was last year, around this time last year. Um, Went to a Buddy Guy concert 
and the guy is 86 years old. This is last year. He's touring again this summer, uh, or this year, rather. It's cool. The dude walks out into the audience, 86 years old, playing the guitar like that. And it's like, wow. And he starts talking about, for some reason, he just starts talking about this. Tobacco. His mother smoked, dipped, and used snuff and never had cancer. He starts saying that things, and of course, you know, the whole tobacco thing in the 80s and 90s, like that's that's part of my point is that this is what I'm getting at is that when people got involved and decided to increase profits by synthetically doing things to tobacco, it wasn't just tobacco that it was being done to. It was smoke, period. Now, can you smoke like that all the time? I know people, this is what's kind of funny, is that I know people, when I was in the military, there was a guy who was about 15 years older than the rest of us in our 20-somethings. And that dude ran fast. And he would smoke before he ran. <laughs> he would smoke a cigarette before he ran. And then he'd smoke it when he was done. And it wasn't just that one run. That's the way he was all the time. So my point, and, and this is kind of what I'm getting at, is that you go everywhere now and there's no smoking. No smoking. No smoking. No smoking. No smoking. And I understand. I understand that completely. It's like, but I just, I just have a hard time believing that tobacco smoke is as bad as it's portrayed to being right now. And I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm just saying that we let's, pe let's pe people have put synthetic things into it to in, to make it bad. Very, you know, very and good point. That's it's what no I'm longer just tobacco. Correct. And that's, that's the what concern I have with cannabis too. That's my, my point. That's, what I'm, that's where I'm getting at. Very much so. And I'm, I've told people, you know, this plant has killed nobody, but don't mess with it. And that's what they're doing. And that's my concern. They're stricting it out and putting, adding terpenes and adding synthetic things and isolating it. The way my concerns is that if the government gets their hands on it, they will have 150 different cannabinoids isolated and separated and do what they could do to it. So coming to the smoke question, I want people to look up at this article called um, by Dr. Donald Tashkin. He's a pulmonologist. And Donald Tashkin, T-A-S-H-K-I-N. And he did a study and he was out to prove this, that cannabis smoke was bad. And what they did is they looked at four groups of people, people that used tobacco, people that used cannabis, people that used nothing, and people that did both tobacco and cannabis. Okay. And what they found is that the people that used cannabis had less lung cancer than people that did nothing. Mm. <laughs> Question mark. Yeah, big one too. Mm. Could it be that it could be protecting people? Protection. And they looked at the people that used tobacco alone and tobacco and cannabis. And what they found is that the people that used tobacco and cannabis had less lung cancer than people that used tobacco alone. So cannabis and tobacco had less lung cancer than tobacco alone. Why? Because the cannabis protected them from the negative effects of tobacco. And you're right. Tobacco is not the same. Old school tobacco was raw and we knew what. Now they've added additives and chemicals and filters and micro dust and particulate matter and literally infected inflammation. And that's right. the other key word, inflammation. Every daggone thing is inflammation. We need inflammation. Too much inflammation is just as bad as not enough inflammation. So in the words of Dr. DiMazzo, the words that I want to use are relax, eat, sleep, forget, and protect. Relax, eat, sleep, forget, and protect. If any one of these things is too much or too little, you have not at ease. So if your muscle is constantly twitching, you can have a seizure. If it doesn't move at all, ALS. If you eat too much, obesity. If you don't eat enough, anorexia. If you sleep too much, depression. If you don't sleep enough, insomnia. If you forget too much, Alzheimer's, dementia. If you don't forget enough, PTS, post-traumatic stress. This is what we talk about, trauma, things that constant. 
If your body overprotects, you have autoimmune diseases. If you don't protect, you're immunocompromised. So remember the mantra, relax, eat, sleep, forget, and protect. That's what the endocannabinoid system is about. So this is where if inflammation happens, it's every daggone thing. Dermatitis, arthritis, carditis, gastritis, appendicitis, it's some itis. Itis means inflammation. Okay, so what we want people to think about today is that could cannabis be an option? If I've got addiction, what do I need to think about before I use anything? Because those are the two ends of it, because we don't want to harm anybody. We want to treat it, not create a problem. And that's why I say cannabis is an entrance to a better quality of life and exit drug because it is a drug. And I don't mind calling it a drug. Food is a drug. It's an extra yeah. from pharmaceuticals, narcotics, alcohol, and nicotine. So that's what I want to end my quotes with. And right let on. people know that you have an endocannabinoid system. Ask your doctor, what do you know about it? Did you know that the government has a patent? Ask them these questions. Use the information that you've learned today to share it and look it up. I'm available. Miguel is can guide you to me. Whatever religion I'll, you are, please. I'll put I'll put your website I'll put your website in the write up. Don't worry, Doctor Doctor Uma. Yeah. Don't worry, I'll put it in there. That's cool. And vice versa, you know, we're helping people. Your children, you need to be your advocate. I just did a, you know, a case in Minnesota where they court ordered mandated the parents to have chemotherapy for their child. Court ordered mandated. When did parents lose their rights to take care of their children? It's getting weird. It's getting weird. It's getting really weird with these things. It's it's getting weird. It's it's a twenty first century strange. And I don't. I know. I know you have a hard time. I'm. I'm. Because here's the thing. I still want to keep talking with you, Doctor. <laughs> but we I know. Will. We I know. Are. I know. I know you got I know you got a thing that, and I'm gonna. And I want to respect your time. So, is there? Is, is there? I know you said you wanted. Do you want to close with that one? Or you want to? Is there anything else you want to add? I want to just say first of all, thank you. I've been waiting for this conversation for Christianity because, you know, people keep saying, you know, my religion, my religion. I'm like, your religion didn't say don't take care of your body, did it? You know what, Dr. Uma, we that's that's we talked about a little bit but with your experience. But we, we have, you know, we we're just kind of you're just telling us about how you came up. It would be I think we could do this a second time and talk about that. because I think it'd be I mean, just yeah. the way the way you grew up and your experiences and the way you view religion and spirituality i think it's uh i think a lot honor of people your, a lot of people would parents. benefit a lot of people have been and honor your parents and that's i got three little guys you know and i was a little guy too that stuff comes in waves <laughs> it does and you know it's not some people don't are not blessed with the right parents but they you still have to honor them to move forward to make it better for your life and and the ones that are coming forgiveness is for the one not just for the one being forgiven but for the one who's doing the forgiving. On that note, yeah. I want to right. say thank you so much. My virtual hugs to everybody out there. Please, please be an advocate. Remember, reach one, teach 10, and we're here for you. All right. This is God the conversation. people, everybody. Thank you. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. And our special guest is Dr. Una, Uma Danabalan. She's a fantastic person. And her website is uplifting health and wellness.com love you all